Hi, I'm Sylvain Bertolo, and you're listening to On One Condition, a podcast to raise awareness about health conditions by listening to people who live them every day. Today, we're going to talk about depression with my guest, Annex Wish. Hi, Annex, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for joining. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, before we go into uh, the topic of the day and, and uh, listening to your story, uh, as you know, I, I like asking my guests about a song that's meaningful to them or that they like dancing to. So what song is yours? <laughs> well, one of my favorite songs is called Dance Monkey. And Dance Monkey is by Tones and I, who's an Australian artist. Um, the one of the really interesting things I find about, well, there's two things. I find about the song itself and the artist are both unique. The song, uh, Dance Monkey, is actually originally about singing. Um, Tones and I, she was an artist that played on the streets. And, you know, she was referring to actually herself as kind of being a, a puppet or a monkey um, that was singing to an audience. And so it goes back to how she was, you know, a street performer and then how her life kind of evolved into what she, you know, became a number one, you know, best-selling album out in Australia and had all these amazing hits. Um, you know, as an, as an artist, she, she has an incredible voice, just in a very, uh, doesn't have any issue just being herself, like absolutely just being herself. And she does what she wants. In her music video, she does exactly what she wants, whether, you know, it's exactly what the audience wants. Um, and the one thing about her that I really liked was after doing a bunch of these hits and becoming very famous, she actually went back for a period of time to becoming a street artist. I went back to, to what she really enjoyed, regardless of all the fame. Um, now, I, I did a little research actually prior to coming to this call, and, you know, she did go back into doing some more albums. But she's just somebody that's not scared to be herself and stay original, uh, regardless of, of the media and the press and, you know, the people around her. Wow, nice. Uh, it's quite unusual to, and in a way, a luxury to be able to do that, to, to go into this industry with your own rules um, yes. because you see a lot of artists start with like a very nice personal album where you feel like you're really hearing the, the artist but then the following albums don't resonate in the same way uh, which I find is a shame for like the, the music industry in a way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Completely. Uh, and I always like hearing stories about songs because that that makes them much more meaningful so thank you for sharing oh my pleasure my pleasure um so today we're talking about uh something that's close to you depression um I, and i don't know where you'd like to start uh but really uh much like to hear what your story or your journey with depression is. So I'll let you decide where you want to start and what you want to share. Sure. Um, the question where it starts always a tricky one because my life has just evolved so tremendously over the years. And sometimes when I look back of what I've been through compared to where I'm now, it's 
it's I wouldn't say it's hard to read late, but it's just um, kind of mind blowing just how how much there was a point in my life where I tremendously struggled, and then where I'm now, where I've actually developed a lot of successes, and my my life has blossomed in a lot of ways, and I still have struggles. Um, so I'll, I'll start actually just give me a little overview of what I do now, and then I'll work my way backwards. And and what I do now, I do a few, I do a few different things. I like to say that uh, <laughs> I've mastered the art of professional ADHD. Um, I, as as a person that you know has multiple interests, I do coaching, um, and I work with a lot of executives, entrepreneurs. Um, I still work with a few athletes, and I focus a lot on uh, productivity, on peak performance. Um, I do some things along along the lines of leadership, um, pairing selves for big events. Um, if individuals are getting stuck or hitting a really challenging time in their life, and it can be a divorce, um, it could be some other challenges with depression, you know, I, I help them kind of hit a reboot um, in a lot of different ways. And then outside of that, I have another company that I work um, with a couple of partners on that does a lot more on, on capital sizing, actually raising raising money for different projects. Um, and it just happened that the clients I coach needed capital, so it's kind of a back-end piece. And then along with, with everything there, um, I'm an athlete. And on a yearly basis, I do these fitness feats to raise awareness, to raise awareness for mental health uh, and raise money. And most of the focus has been more towards veterans' mental health, just because of a lot of friends that are veterans and there's a lot of need in mental health space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of just create some crazy fitness feat that may or may not be possible. And I spend five months trying to tackle it. And then I go after it um, and give it everything I got. So can you, can you give us an example? <laughs> my last one was uh, I wore a 24 pound vest and I decided one day when the pandemic hit, I used to love, I mean, for me, and, you know, we're talking about depression Physical fitness has always been an outlet and, and ADHD has always made me a little, little hyperactive and I always just felt like moving. So I always put my movement towards something. Yeah. Um, and even actually during my worst days of depression, you know, there was moments where, where I'd move and get exercise and people would be like, well, how can you go get that exercise but you can't hold a job? And I'm like, you don't understand. And, and people ask me the same questions nowadays. It's like, well, you could do all this fitness or I say like, you know, you know, I do all this fitness, but yet it's hard for me to sit down and read a book, right? It's just, it's just different. It's, it, it's different. Some people just don't understand. Um, on the fitness side, I decided to, to wear a 24-pound vest, which was symbolic towards the weight of mental illness, how we all have our own weighted vests. Mm-hmm. And I decided to do 1,000 strict pull-ups, 2,000 push-ups, and 3,000 squats. And in, in a row. It was broken up, so I did five pull-ups, ten push-ups, ten squats, every minute on the minute, and then every 15 minutes I took a one-minute break, and then later on that one-minute break turned into two-minute breaks, and things, and I took more, I took more rest more frequently, mm-hmm. but I gave myself 10 hours and I finished it in about six hours and eight minutes. Wow, um, that's that's dedication. <laughs> It is. It is. And, and there's a lot of risks for injury. Uh, there's something called rhabdo, which can be life-threatening if you have too much muscle breakdown. But there was a lot of thought going into it. And, and that actually gave me a lot of 
you know, by doing that and accomplishing that, and I, and I partnered up with Spartan Race, and we did a live stream, and we had these influencers come on. Everyone was talking about mental health. It was just such a great event. And, um, you know, by doing that actually gave me a lot of, it, it really was a, a point in my life where I felt like, okay, I stuck with something. I had this big accomplishment, even though I was building up other successes. And that was a pivoting point to sharing my story. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I use that as really like, you know, here's a fitness feed I'm doing. But it wasn't just about that. It was about really like, I'm able to do this fitness feed. I can use my mindset. And I gained a lot of those skills from overcoming severe major depression, which, which for me was years of like life-threatening illness. Mm-hmm. And so, and then in May, I'm, I'm trying to tackle a world record to climb most vertical feet on a rock climbing wall, into a rock climbing wall in 24 hours, which is a whole nother beast. And I, w- I won't get too much into, but it's, uh, and, and, and when I say these things, it's, it's more about inspiring people, raising awareness, um, destigmatizing mental health. Um, and, you know, if I accomplish the feat, that's just an extra plus, even though I'm very, very motivated, very determined. Um, but so that, that's kind of things in, things and areas I'm doing now. Now, we go backwards in time to, let's even go backwards to where I was in uh, elementary school. I, I actually had a little bit of some challenges in elementary school. I, had about a, I was overweight, had about a year of my life where I battled with anorexia nerviosa. Um, and I overcame that on my own. Um, and I think that that was my own kind of personal grit, and I kind of flipped it around. And Could you, so, sorry, do yeah. you mind explaining what it is? It's uh, anorexia nerviosa is basically an eating disorder where you just you you have this body image that you that you don't look um, thin enough, and you basically stop you stop eating food or or a certain quantity of food and you lose dramatic amount of weights to a point that's very unhealthy and even dangerous. Yeah. Um and it was from just being bullied and made fun of for being overweight originally. Right. Um yeah and it's crazy how cruel kids can be really. It is. Um I I, I have my own children and um yeah I see that there's much more um direct um i don't know what the word is reflection on image direct reflection on image i would say which can be very mean yeah yeah no 100% and you know i'd actually say my journey almost started there when i reflect back um not to the extent that i'll mention further on but when I was being treated for it, like my parents had me see this this woman who was like, I don't know, must have been in her seventies. I couldn't relate. I couldn't, there's nothing I could relate to her. Wasn't helpful. My 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 father was getting upset with me with this whole situation. But something inside me just kind of switched, and I started eating food. And you know, I, I had this idea that if I was going to put on weight, I was going to put on muscle. And I started my fitness journey at a young age in middle school. Um, getting into weightlifting and, and, you know, putting on some weights. Um, other challenges I went through at an early age is I had dyslexia, some learning disabilities, the ADHD. I was originally in um, special ed, uh, 
but my determination to thrive among my peers made it so I was getting A's in my classes. And then I just, they don't, there's like, you don't need to be in special ed anymore. So I, I learned how to adapt. I learned certain skills. Some subjects I was good at, like math and science, amazing. When it came to names, like in history or remembering dates um, or languages, it just, just wasn't my thing. But as my life evolved, worked extremely hard, very passionate about sailboat racing. I had dreams to go to the Olympics. I would train hours in the summer and, and school during school time. Um, and I eventually got into University of Pennsylvania, um, which is an Ivy League school. There, as a sophomore, um, I had a 4.0 GPA. And I was top of my class. And, you know, yep. Sorry, I don't know what you mean by 4.0 GPA. So it, in, in, the, in the U.S., um, our grading system is based out of a 4. So for a 4.0 GPA would be basically you couldn't do better grade-wise with a 4.0. It means, it means your grade point average is perfect. Okay. There's, there's not, you, you can't, <laughs> means like you just can't do better. Um, but it was also one of those situations where I was a perfectionist and I literally probably could have put less work in and still gotten the 4.0, but there were, there was this, there was this point of obsessing about being perfect. And, and the big, the big piece about being, being perfect is perfection is an illusion. You know, it, it, it doesn't exist and it's, and it's, it's consuming. It, it really just consumes the whole person, the, the, the mind and body. Um, in college, sophomore year, um, around February 17th, I actually remember that date very well. You know, I was already feeling burning out, burning. I was already feeling burnt out the summer before I was feeling burnt out. Um, but that day I woke up and I just remember feeling off, like, like really, really off. And it could have been a combination of the demand of work. It could have been a combination of the winners that always had like a little bit of seasonal depression. But from that day on, I developed, um, thoughts of wanting in my life i developed suicidal thoughts and never experienced that in my entire life before um so it was very very scary and you know i tried working with some doctors to treat this and no one really knew like there's history of my family mental health so i was being treated for certain things and as i was being treated those medications made it even harder to study and then i was going into um Again, sailing was really important. So I was trying to sail in nationals. We had, we had a national sailing event. And I went out and did the thing I absolutely loved doing that brought the most joy to myself in a world that was so peaceful, that had no triggers for anxiety. And I went out there. And as I was sailing, all I could think about is wanting to end my life with, with and, and, it, and it was not just wanting to end my life, but like, visualization was honestly like I wanted to shoot myself. And, and the point to me when that happened is one, I didn't own a gun. It, it was very intrusive thoughts and it was doing something that usually brought me absolute joy. And at that point in my life, I, I knew I needed to leave school and get help. And when I left to kind of move the story along a bit further, I left, I uh, went, originally went home, um, worked with a psychiatrist, did some, did a program, Eventually, you know, the struggling point got really hard and I went into the hospital. I was there for about two and a half months to get on a medication. 
And, you know, the whole medication route was really challenging, a lot of side effects, things didn't really work like they needed to. And for about eight years of my life, um, I dealt with severe um, depression, with intrusive suicidal thoughts, different programs, different medications, um, doctors. I mean, throughout the whole system, I had multiple diagnoses, like not saying they're correct, but you know, people are, everyone's throwing, you know, everything, including the kitchen sink at me. Someone's like, you know, you have autism. That's your answer. Somebody's like, you have negative symptoms of schizophrenia. Someone's like, you're bipolar. You have a personality disorder. No, it's severe OCD. And it was, it was just becoming more and more apparent that the system was, was broken in so many ways. Um, and it also became more apparent. It was less important about what I actually had and more important about what actually worked. And it wasn't until I hit a really low point, I was out at a facility. Um, and this was, I, I put myself, by the way, in the hospital probably over 14 times because of these intrusive suicidal thoughts. I didn't put myself in a situation where I acted on them, but you know, I was crying every day, all these negative thoughts. It was very scary. It was literally a fight for survival. And I put myself in the hospital because I just didn't know what to do. I just, I just kind of ran out of ideas what to do. And in me being a home and, and not functioning, um, you know, also wasn't an option. But I ended up in a place in Bruce, New York. And this place was actually two months after I left, was shut down by the Board of Mental Health for mistreatment of patients. Really? Um, and when I was there... You know, people probably say, well, what, what was your family like? And mental health is challenging because you have doctors saying one thing, you have a patient saying something else. There's a lot of, if, if a patient's battling with, with mental illness, we'll say, you know, their, their opinion, their thoughts, their ideas start to become devalued. And that's not just on a, on a like interpersonal or, or social level or, work or whatever it is in society it's it's also you know from therapists and doctors and them interacting with family members and so when i was telling my folks like hey like there's a lot of mistreatment here you know they're restraining people you know their method of punishment all this stuff and everyone just wouldn't believe me because because i was the depressed patient you know i mean like uh, yeah su supposedly so your, your image becomes where you are and and not so so was do you think people stopped seeing you for who you were and and started seeing you through the the symptoms i i think i mean yes i mean the challenging thing is when you have depression so long the longer you have the longer you face a mental illness the less likely it is you'll ever fully pull out And it, it becomes it becomes consuming because people say, well, what caused it? But the longer you're depressed, I mean, the fact that you're dealing with depression is de is depressing, um, you know, and, and that that's traumatic as it is in the experiences you go through. But it's people start losing sight of, of who you were. And, and for me, I was, you know, uh, I, I was still that person that was striving to the Olympics and sailboat racing and. You know, I managed to be, I was a very high functioning, you know, top percentile student. And I, 
I had to tell people like, I'm still that person. Like I haven't lost that person. I'm still that person. There's just something that's not working right in me. Um, but the big pivoting. Yep. The, what's sorry. I, I know you haven't finished, but I personally don't have much of a, of an understanding. So you're opening my eyes to, to what uh, sure. depression is and how you feel. But what I find interesting is that I think you said there was not really a trigger, but one day you felt off. And looking back, do you do you think there was anything more than than usual, or is it is it just that was the the day you remember as feeling off? But there was actually no trigger at all. That was just. It's so you asked a great question. I mean, in my opinion, I actually remember the day before very vividly. Um, and I also believe in this concept that's like a, called the dieta stress model, meaning we all have a set point. Mm -hmm. And for some people who have a genetic background where they're more predisposed for mental illness, their set point's just a little lower. Right. So it might take more stressors in life for them to hit that set point. And then their brain chemistry might go, um, you know, a, a little might go yeah. out of balance. Right. Yeah. And for some people, it could take going into war and, and seeing a lot of traumatic events for that set point to, to get unbalanced. Right. Now, for me, um, you know, I, I do think it was the work. I also the first time in college was the first time I was ever put on medication for ADHD. Um, you know, I know people have different experiences. For me, I, I really actually think it made my situation worse. Um, it, it just it just played into my perfectionism, mm -hmm. and it actually led into more isolation. <laughs> but that day before, my best friend visited me. Uh, we went out with these two these two uh, women who were grad students, and I, I had a glass of wine. There was no drugs or anything like that involved. And then I went home and went to bed. And it, it could have been the fact that, like, you know, I, I was in this. I was already in a depression, but it wasn't like so notice like like a lot of people experience depression, they don't know they're in it. But for me, it was just the fact that like when that when those suicidal thoughts hit, like those intrusive thoughts that that didn't make any sense to me. Like the fact that like I want to end my life with a gun, but I didn't own a gun, right? Like how does that <clears throat> really make that much sense? Like that was um That's the point that I see as like, like my depression, quote unquote. But I was definitely, definitely depressed going into that. And yeah, maybe, okay. maybe seeing my friends and experiencing something that was a bit, um, you know, different or could have been positive in some ways. That could have been a trigger. But I also know that the pressures, and then that's around the time of season that like I get some seasonal depression. But I always, I always managed it with with um just working harder in the gym or studying more so you, you ask a great question and i sometimes go back and try to revisit and find a direct answer i don't think i ever will but you know i think i think there's multiple multiple factors yeah yeah um and so so so, so you you talked about like the next day going sailing 
or maybe yeah. not the next day, but uh, going sailing, doing something you really enjoy, but still having those thoughts. But from a, uh, I'm trying to to think of how that translates then from someone who who knows you and who sees you do what you're enjoying. Yeah. Um, is that something like were you talking about your feelings? Uh, did you have like were people around you understanding what you you were feeling and living, or were were you quite isolated? Um. Well, I mean, I don't think at that point in time I had a therapist, so I wasn't talking to that extent. Mm-hmm. And I probably I probably kept a lot to myself. I mean, I think. You know, I think this also goes back to my childhood and we developed a lot of, I mean, in our lives, through our childhood, we developed a lot of skills. I grew up in a town named Wellesley and everything was built on appearance, right? People would appear and there was a lot of successful people, quote unquote successful, however you define that, um, maybe financially, career-wise in that community, but there was a lot of challenges people were going through behind the scenes. And so for me, I probably didn't share that much. and I always, I also had kind of, you know, I grew up also wrestling and other things. And maybe there is that masculine aspect of just pushing through. But I don't think, I don't think I really did share um, at all going through my struggles until I was literally forced to share because I, I was scared of these thoughts and what would happen if, if, if they just kept coming and like, I just, you know, it was just scary. Well, you mentioned determination. I, I, I guess you have to have determination and be yourself knowing that you need to do something. Um, the fact that you went yourself to uh, be hospitalized, that takes a lot of effort, I would imagine. Is that right? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember too much about the first time. I, I do remember the first time I stayed, but I don't remember too much about the decision-making and, and the challenges behind that. Um, it's a little bit of a blur because there's so many times I put myself back in the hospital just because, I mean, it's the hospital is a tricky situation when it comes to mental health. It's, it's a place you go if you need to be safe, right? There's that aspect. But when it comes to actually like really getting better, it's not necessarily the best place to go. Um, because you have doctors that don't really know you, you know, they're going to make changes rapidly. That may not be the best decision, but their goal is just to stabilize you enough and get you out of there. Assurance is trying to push you out the first day you come in. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of things working against you. Um, and the system, I would say when I first went in, it was probably, there was a lot more leniency with insurance. And in giving patients freedom to actually like be in there, take steps down to get a, like get out and take passes to leave. And now insurance has become so much more strict with like if you're in the hospital, you're in a locked unit and you're really not getting a lot of outdoor or any of that time at all until you leave. Um, so over the years, insurance has gotten a lot more strict with being an inpatient setting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I imagine, especially with you, like, um, physical activity seems to be very important for you. So being in a hospital might not necessarily help with that. Yeah, I, I did my, um, they call it the prison workout. I, I, I would, 
I'd figure out doing push-ups or sit-ups. But if they if they always had an opportunity to go, like sometimes there was a little gym on the hospital and we'd go there. Um, and I, I'd, I'd always go, regardless of how I felt, like I would always go. And I had this mentality that I eventually developed that's, there's, there's this concept I use that's called choose your heart. And the, the point is, is that lying in bed, being severely depressed is as, is as hard as hell. I mean, it is, it is hard, right? Mm. And then getting out of bed, going to the gym, doing something that might, even if it's a 0.001% chance, might make you feel a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is very hard too, right? But you have a choice. You can choose the hard to feel like absolute crap and severely depressed and lay in bed. Or you can choose the hard to also feel like crap, push yourself to go to the gym, but you have a chance to feel a little better. And so I, I would choose my hard, but I would choose the hard that had the opportunity just to feel a little better. And that, that was one of the things that, that really got me to where I am today, um, along with several other things. Okay. So how did you go from, like you, you said, <laughs> eight years of really not feeling well, going 14 times into hospital, but like also in, in hospitals that didn't have, didn't treat patients well. So how did you come from there yeah. to, to where you are now? So a, a pivoting point, there's, there was multiple pivoting points, but one of the biggest ones, I was in a place that was shut down by the Board of Mental Health eventually after I left and complained about it. I got there, um, severe mistreatment. If you spoke up about your struggling, um, they would handcuff you and send you to the county hospital. That was their protocol. And it was a, it was a blanket protocol. It happened to me. I said, I was in my bedroom for day after day. And I said, you know, I, I talked to the counselors there. I said, look, I'm not in danger of hurting myself, but these are the constant thoughts I'm having. And like, I'm not functioning. And they said, oh, just, you know, wait upstairs. We'll be with you in just a second. You know, long and behold, a cop came. I got handcuffed, put in the back of a, of a police truck and went to the county hospital. Now, county ho- yeah, I mean, it, it, it should be a passionate, and it's a blanket. It's like, it's like regardless of what mental health you're dealing with, regardless of your background, like that was what they did. And the process should have been like an ambulance should have came. People should have been compassionate. You don't need to be handcuffed. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're a direct danger to yourself and it's obvious, like every case, like, like I say, when you're battling with mental illness, everyone's an outlier. Every case is different. You can't just put, you can't just put everyone under one title. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. And there's a humane way to te- treat people. I mean, you don't need to make something more traumatic than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. So I got there. I, I got to a point where I couldn't tell how much I was suffering. And this pivoting point was I, I eventually found myself standing on a bridge. Now, I was standing above a railroad track. And I got to a point where I reached out to my folks. And they literally... My father told me that you're not trying hard enough, and if this doesn't work, nothing will. Um, which you know, and, and look, I'm gonna say, also being someone on the other end that has a family member suffering is also very challenging too. I'm not saying what my father said was right, but it's confusing and it's challenging, and, and you don't know what to say. Um, now, obviously, in my situation, that was anything but helpful. So I stood on that rail. I stood on that bridge. And I said, I have two choices, Alex. You know, this, this is where you're at. This is your lowest point. You can either jump, you know, and whether that would end my life or not, who knows in that situation, but that was the mentality behind it. 
or you can use something so different, so drastic that it would forever change the trajectory of your situation. And that's the direction I went in. I owned a bike at that time. That's like the only thing I had was a bike. And I walked two hours with my bike. I knew a staff member. I got a printout of MapQuest, which is just like a map and directions to a certain location, and a pay-as-you-go phone. And now there was this more of like a holistic hospital. It was like a hospital for mental health, but had like this outdoor kind of holistic, holistic aspect of it. It was a better treating place than where I was now. My insurance did cover it. Um, and that's where I wanted to get to. And, and I couldn't tell them. I didn't, I had, I had, maybe I had a couple bucks, maybe somehow anyway, but like whatever I had, I couldn't have access to and I couldn't tell anyone. So it was up to me to get there. So I walked two hours, got my bike. And then from 7 PM to 4:30 AM in the morning, I rode my bike and got to that hospital. And I rode my bike. I mean, these were through woods. There was like no signs. Like I was trusting my gut. And I got my, my bike chain broke, but then I walked up hills, rode it down hills. I got a flat tire. I still didn't want to give up my bike though, because it was like the only thing I owed in life at that time. <laughs> and I just I just didn't want to give it up. But you know, going through this, uh, I eventually got there and, and I and I was able to settle in. And I realized a couple of things. One, that that situation, that that life or death to me. I mean, it was life or death. It was either I end my life, I mean, you know, or 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 I I don't and I do something to change my life for the better, right? Mm -hmm. But that moment pushed me and made me realize that, Alex, you know, you just rode, what, 11 hours, so many hours in the middle of the nighttime doing something that most people who are physically fit and who are, you know, living decent lives couldn't do. And you're severely depressed in a place where you haven't been able to hold a job and been very incapable. And it really made me real. It was very empowering. It was actually a very empowering experience. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it was, I was probably like in a flow state, which is something I, I teach clients. But I then thought to myself, you know, this whole narrative I had myself previously was, was I was broken, was, was there was something that was really broken with me and I needed to be fixed. I needed some treatment, some medication that was going to fix me. That was the narrative I was telling myself. Like, how else does it make sense? And I call that like a very strong external locus of control. Mm -hmm. And the narrative I started switching was like, you know what, Alex, there might be something out there that could be helpful, but you don't know what it is or when you'll find it. So what can you on a given day do that's within your control? And I started to switch from that external locus to an internal locus of control. And I developed what was seven pillars. And I didn't develop it at that moment, but it evolved into that. And that was exercise, fitness, sleep, community, communication, your mindset, and your overall purpose in life. In all those areas, I could tweak, you know, improve. And I eventually got back to Boston. Um, I found a place to, to live. And, you know, I eventually got into personal training, my personal training certificate. It was something... It wasn't a nine to five job. I kind of would pick my hours and just try to build up confidence. Sometimes I, I would cancel on clients, but sometimes I'd you know, build up more confidence. Mm -hmm. And over time, 
the best metaphor I'd like to describe was it felt like I was pushing like a 10 foot thick concrete wall and everyone's looking at me like, Alex, you're pushing a damn wall that's not going to fall over. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to keep pushing this wall and I know it's going to fall over. I don't know if it's going to fall over tomorrow, a week, a month, a year, five years, but that wall is going to fall over. And I just had to keep pushing at it. And eventually that wall did fall over, you know, and, and I did, you know, hit some exponential growth and, and I'll tell you, like getting better. And again, this is, this is where it comes down to choosing your heart. Getting better was very, very, very hard. There's nothing easy like about it. it. And, and for someone to say that getting better is easy is a lie. But having suicidal depression and suffering every day is also really hard. And so I just chose the other hard. And, you know, and after months and years, my life solidified, got into personal training, started training, and then I ended up working with professional athletes. And I ended up working with some top investors, learned about investing. I started saying yes to every opportunity that came my way and just said, you know what, like, just try whatever is thrown out your way. And, and, slowly, and then, you know, I ended up where I'm at today. Um, and, and the one thing about my journey I'll say is, you know, people say, well, you know, if you could change anything, would you change it? And I said, I mean, that's a tough question. I, I would say no. Um, I say, I'm very thankful for the experiences and challenges I've gone through in life. Mm -hmm. But one, I would never ever want to go through it again. And two, I don't wish it upon my worst of enemies. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was the evolution. And you know, multiple treatments I went through, I went through electroconvulsive therapy 50 times, which was a total of 50, 50 grandma seizures I was induced. And that, those were all treatments to get better. Um, but it's, it's been a journey and, and to kind of cap it off, I'm a lot better today. I still deal with, with depression, but I've learned how to manage it significantly. Mm -hmm. um, I don't deal with suicidal thoughts anymore, which, which is tremendous. Mm -hmm. And um, I've really developed a lifestyle where you know, I, I have times where I enjoy life and I'm happy and I have times that are really challenging and dysphoric, but life moves on and I keep it moving regardless. Well, that's that's an incredible journey and well done to to get where you are. I appreciate um, that. It sounds like it's been all on yourself essentially. Um and I I'd like to go back to something you said about thinking that you needed to be fixed and that something from the outside needed to to fix you uh, i don't think you used those words exactly yeah but, but this is where like the the medical aspect and the healthcare system yep. makes us think that everything should have um a cure but what you're saying is that actually Yes, there are things that help you from the outside, but a lot of it comes from the inside. Um, which to most people, I think is something that is relatively accessible. But when you suffer from depression, 
I guess that's that if you're at your lowest point and you think of, of what you're trying to achieve, that must feel very hard, eventually, and, and very far uh, away from you. So how, like, when you talked about your seven pillars, is or when you look back at these lowest points to where you are now, are there been multiple steps or has it been um, an improvement over time over how you felt or how, how has it been? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, I mean, all the above. Um, it's, when I look back on it, I mean, it, it was multiple steps and it was, you know, it was really trusting. I had no, I, at this point in my life, I had no options. I really didn't have anyone else to help me. Mm-hmm. And I had no options but to stick with a process and just make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and where I got into life now, you know, I, I, I wasn't given, there was a point like all financial support was taken away from me from my folks. And, and I've, I've created tremendous financial support where I'm now. And there was points I was in crazy debt and all the above. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, it's, it's multiple steps. It's, it's going day after day, feeling like things aren't moving, but you really have to trust the process. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm a person, look, I'm not, I'm not 100% pro-medication. I'm not 100% anti-medication. Um, what I learned, it's, it's a little bit of everything that makes a difference. And if I can get 1% or 2% better from one thing, I'm going to take it. Mm-hmm. And it all, it all adds up. I mean, it, I take medication today. And if I stopped taking my medication, I would be in a bad place. Be straight up honest. Yeah. But if I only took medication and due to the other things I'm doing, I would be in a bad place. You know, medication is a small part of the equation. And I think that's, that's honestly true, not just for mental health, but it's true for physical health. You can take medication, but if you want to live a long and enjoyable life, there's a lot of other steps outside of medication that you're going to make and changes in your life to really excel. Yeah. And so it's, it's, and that's where the pillars come in. You know, I mean, you want to create a team around you. You want to... <laughs> You know, I, I talk, I do work with a lot of business people and, and focus on your strengths, what you're good at and delegate your weaknesses or the things you're not good at. So build a team, have doctors, have people you can trust, let them do that work and you do the work on yourself that you can in each day and, um, you know, begin to build that confidence, begin to understand what works and what doesn't work. Um, I also, I, I have a journal, I call it, um. Alex's manual, Alex's life manual. And, and as I go on in life, you know, I make small changes, not, not drastically large changes. And I keep track of, of what works and what doesn't, doesn't. So as I move on in life, I feel like I can consistently progress and I can always go back to what I wrote and see, you know, if, if what, if this works or this doesn't work and try not to repeat the past. That's a big one. You don't want to repeat the past. You do that. I think I, I think I think if you if you if you repeat the past enough, I think that's the, literally the definition of insanity. Um, yeah. So 
we, we want to you want to watch out for that one. Yep, I agree. Uh, well, thanks a lot for for telling your story. Um, it's really opened my mind, um, so I really appreciate it. Uh, I've learned a lot. Um, I'd just like to finish on on the the same question I ask everyone. Sure. Um, what's your happy place? What's the place for you where you feel at peace? That's a that's a great question, and, and that question has evolved over the years. So I'm going to go back to this rock climbing feat, this 24-hour rock climbing feat. Now, I'm not saying, honestly, that's my happy place, doing something that's 24 hours and <laughs> very challenging. <laughs> yeah. But where I got better, a big part of it was community. I mean, I have to say, and I, th I think what's broken with the system, to be honest with you, too, is the community aspect. Is mm -hmm is in order to get better, you need to be surrounded by other people that share similar values and that are doing things that you want to do. The mental health system ends up making you be surrounded by other people who are very sick, which in the beginning, there's, there's some understanding and help, but later on, you know, it, it keeps you stuck. It's, it's the reality. For me, I joined a rock climbing gym. Um, it was originally known as Brooklyn Boulders, now it's Boston Bouldering Project. But I would wake up every morning, leave my house, get what I need. I'd go there and be there all day. Sometimes it was like 11 o'clock. And I would, I would just spend my entire day there when I was first getting better. Um, and that was, that was my happy place. I mean, there was a community of people. I got into rock climbing. So there was physical, mental peace. Mm -hmm. um, I could do a little work there. But I mean, going into that gym where there's these walls and rocks and fitness there was also no triggers, you know? It used to be sailing, and, and trust me, sailing is still a happy place for me. But now with work and everything, like that climbing gym, and, and, and that's why my fitness speed is also at the gym because it just makes sense towards my evolution. Mm -hmm. um, but going to that rock climbing gym, and, and I go there three, four times a week, and that, that's a big part of my happy place. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I like the, the, the fact that you're talking about community as a happy place. That's that's very nice. Hundred percent. Well, that's been um, very very moving to listen to. Um, again, well done, and um, it's very nice to hear that you're um, you're now feeling much better and know how to keep that way. And, and uh, yeah, it's been incredible. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much. I think that that's all for today. I uh, really appreciate you joining the, the podcast and, and I wish you all the best. And if there's one thing I could add real quick, um, yeah, yeah definitely. Just, just, just to kind of end, you know, a big thing in my life right now is reducing the stigma of, of overall mental health, mental illness, however you'd like to call it. Um, and I do a lot of work on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. on the professional network. Um, that was a place where people, I was told once in my life that you could never share like these challenges you're going through with, with mental health in a professional space because they'll never get employed. Well, you know, I'm self-employed, so I'm, I'm not going to be firing myself anytime soon. Mm -hmm. but, but I do a lot of, I share a lot of amazing content, a lot of personal stories. If you want to hear more, um, you know, visit me on LinkedIn. And I, I do a lot of um, content sharing and, and trying to help others there. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah. 
and I uh, I will definitely follow you. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you.